0: all right we're right here okay is that chocolate on your face do i it right here on the other side yeah
1: yeah <laughs> i'm very on brand today. i was like i don't
0: remember you having like a freckle or a mole right there <laughs> it's fine we're gonna start over
1: yeah. We uh we got to start over. <laughs> Hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. Welcome to episode 31 of Millennium 31? Poets Society. Mhm. I'm your host Emily Klein. <laughs> I am my great Virginia, your other host, and we've got mouths full of cookies.
0: Mm-hmm. We
1: used Joanna Gaines' recipe for chocolate chip cookies last night. Well, Emily did, mostly.
0: Yeah, I, but made like... She cookies.
1: <laughs> yeah, Amanda read it to me, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, And right. I'm
1: eating it. You had
0: nothing to do with it. <laughs> I've been eating the cookies you made, my cookie dough, Amanda's right. cookie dough. It's
1: <laughs> all good, good times. Uh, fun stuff. It's a really good chocolate chip cookie recipe if you want it. Um, yummy. But yeah, we really had a good time with that. They're pretty
0: delicious. Mm-hmm. What have you been up to? Oh, good. Well, <laughs> um, I started going back to the gym this week, which is cool. Cool. Yeah. Uh, two days going strong. <laughs> hey! How do you feel? Sore. Good. <laughs> what good. kind of
1: stuff are you doing?
0: Um, The usual... <laughs> Very interesting I've been, for our uh, listeners. Like cardio and um, then like circuit stuff. Today I did shoulders. Ouch! So. Those are the worst. Mm-hmm. Do you use the Smith machine at all? I don't really use the machines much.
1: The Smith, the Smith machine, the one that has like the barbell, but it's like assisted on the I track. Hate that.
0: I don't use it. I, I hate the Smith machine.
1: I have just started using it, and it is the worst but also the best because then I don't have to balance the bar as much
0: but that's the point
1: (laughs) I know but my shoulders aren't strong enough and it like hurts because I'm so new to lifting
0: so that yeah I just I don't like it because it doesn't like account for your natural body movement like you have to go like straight straight up up and and down down, which is good for your form not necessarily if you do it right right Not necessarily. I mean, our bodies are all different. So So, you're not going to be like, so there's a different machine Then it's also a
1: Smith machine, but it's the one that's on like two tracks. So it's not just strictly straight up and down, but it's also on a track on the bottom so that it can bend and move. Like you could bend all the way forward with it Mm -hmm. and come all the way back with it. Cause it has, you have this like the yeah. full tracks weight a uh, range of
0: motion. Yeah. I really like that one. Well, then, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. But I think those are the newer ones, down yeah. It's stupid because... I, yeah, I've never used one of like those. Like, that's not... Your body doesn't just naturally... Like, yeah, you want to have good form, but even if you have, per, like, perfect form, you may, like, because of the length of your legs and, like, whatever, like, your body is potentially going to move forward or backward a little bit sure. from how it is on the track. Sure. Well, I really like that one. <laughs> wow well. yeah. So, um, that's exciting. That's what I've been up to besides, um, the usual shenanigans, the usual. So I got to see my brother again this weekend, which was super fun. Awesome. We went to this really good, um, Cuban place that I've been to a couple times with one of our other friends. Um, and it's just like, I mean, I've only ever been there for breakfast, but they do lunch and everything too. Where is it? The Cuban place? Um, it's, it's not Havana, Alma de Cuba. No, oh, I know that. Um, but. it's in. It's not in the West Village, but like near the West Village, um, or well, in like near Chelsea, kind of. Um, huh. <laughs> uh, I'll find it. We'll figure it out. I want to keep it a secret so that then, the it doesn't take forever to get a table at. <laughs> sure. <laughs> because so many people are gonna. Oh, it doesn't start with a. Um, uh, it's Kapalia. Um, and it is at the, it's really good. It's like really reasonably priced too, nice. which is really cool. Um, and like I got there at like twelve fifteen twelve thirty 1230 on a Sunday and I didn't have to wait for a table. Like I just walked in and was like table for two. Huh. Um, it's, uh, West 14th street, but off, yeah, like off the 30 train. Cool. We should go sometime. I went with Kayla twice. Nice. Yeah. Well, so anyway, That's fun great. place, and we just spent all day together, and went to Chelsea Market, and
1: Yay, then drank time.
0: wine, and it was good. Good. How, what What are you up to?
1: Oh, not much really. Um, also, the gym. <laughs> hey. Um, and. <laughs> Adulting. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm making soup as we speak mm-hmm. in the crock pot.
0: What kind of soup? Creamy
1: tortellini and sausage soup. Mm. It's delicious. It's a Klein family staple. Oh. um, I don't know. I think my mom found it on Facebook a couple years ago. And it's just been something that we have made ever since. It's so good.
0: I feel like your mom is always posting recipes on facebook yeah I, finding I, recipes
1: she is i tried to explain to her that that's what pinterest is for uh-huh. she's but like, no
0: but that's facebook
1: and she like she'll use pinterest maybe sometimes
0: but that's she's really like funny. facebook is where i go for the recipes <laughs> oh so facebook is where it's at apparently it's if marianne. you know any good
1: recipes post them on millenn- tag millennial Poets society on facebook and i'll make sure marianne gets them
0: pass them along your favorite we should we can have a millennial poet society um uh recipe cookbook cookbook. yeah Yeah. there you go fill up your recipe card thing that you have i do have a recipe card box yeah um okay well it's it's, do you want to get started sure yeah um first make sure that you are we um good good Good. Make sure that you send us on over some of your work and everything for our Who's to Say episodes. Uh, if you are just joining us recently, we finished, wrapped up season one um, a few weeks ago now, like a yeah. month ago. Maybe, About a month ago. Um, of Season one of Who's to Say, which are our mini episodes where we feature unpublished or self-published poets. Um, we feature their work, do a little bio on them, and uh, just share what they're doing with all of you guys, all of our listeners, so that then they have an audience and more people are listening to their work and we're getting it out there. Um, we're, I mean, we're both artists and we write um, and we know it's important to get feedback but and also just to know that people are out there listening to our things. And so we want to provide that for all of you and for the people who listen. So send on over your things to millennial poets society at gmail.com. Uh, you can find that email address if you go to our Facebook page, uh, Millennial Poet Society on Facebook, or you can search MPS underscore podcast on Instagram and, um, and give us a like, give us a follow, watch our story, <laughs> and uh, click on the contact or email button that's under the bio, and that'll um, just take you right to a um open up a blank email for you to send on over all your stuff um there's also it'll also be listed in the notes of this episode as well so you've got no excuse we've made it so easy (laughs) there's so many ways for you to find our email address you can even just dm us on on instagram if you really want to Well, Um, if there's a will, there's a way. Call us, beep us if you want to reach us.
1: Thank you to those who have already submitted. Season two is going to be wonderful. It makes
0: us so happy. And if you're like on the fence or if you've been listening and you hear this message every week and you're like, oh, but that's not me. They don't want my work. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Just send it. Send it. Send send it it over. (laughs) Just just send it. Give it to me. Come on. I want
1: it. Yeah, exactly.
0: It's so, so simple. Just click the button. Send it over. And you know what to do. Y- you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, thank you. And this is episode 31, so I go first. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have a poet for you this week.
0: Oh, Shocking. do you? Shocking, is it, it, I know. Is it, a, is it a poet, though? It's a poet. Yeah. Oh. They are a poet. Her, she's a poet. Interesting. Yes. Wow, I wasn't expecting.
1: I know poetry is like really kind of huh. Like
0: a weird. Are we cool? Is it okay
1: if we like talk about poetry? don't know. Are you sure? Like, how does that make you feel? Like, is it? I'm
0: feeling it today. Well, I mean,
1: I guess we're here. Do we like just do it anyway, just just to get it out of our system? Oh, look
0: at my notes. I did a poet too. Oh. Oh, I didn't even. Okay, anyway, go ahead. That
1: was (laughs) rough. (laughs) Okay. Um, so my poet this week is Tori Dent. Hmm. Have you heard of her? Sounds familiar. Okay. Uh, <laughs> she was a poet, essayist, and art critic. Uh, she was born in Wilmington, Delaware on January 1st, 1958. Okay. Okay. Your face may be... Oh, were you yawning?
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought your face was like, ha. Huh. Nope. That just, was a yawn. Okay, cool. Um. <laughs>
1: She was diagnosed with HIV when she was 30 years old. Mm. She was a commentator on the AIDS epidemic and much of her poetry centers around the brutal realities and emotional complexities of living with a fatal illness. She earned her BA from Barnard College in 1981 and her MFA in creative writing from NYU. Her collections of poetry include What Silence Equals from 1993, HIV Mon Amour, 1999, and her final p- collection, Black Milk, in
0: 2005.
1: Her book, HIV Mon Amour, won a James Laughlin Award and was a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award. Mm-hmm. According to an article in the New York Times, HIV Mon Amour contained unflinching geographically deep... I'm um, not geographically... Oh, I was boy. like, oh. <laughs> Unflinching, graphically detailed oh, that's verse. that's a different word. Yes. <laughs> um, accounts of her fight with the disease, the unending medical appointments she endured, and a daily existence lived in defiance of it. Mm. The Book of Poems was praised by many, even called, quote, one of the great, necessary books to come out of the AIDS crisis. Mm. Throughout her adult life, she lived mostly in New York City and Maine, a pretty much a goal of mine to like <laughs> split time between the two. New York City and Maine. Yeah. She married writer Sean Harvey in 1999. Fellow respected poet and friend Adrian Rich, who did we do Adrian Rich? Yeah, I didn't. I feel like maybe I did, but I can't I remember. I don't think so. Or maybe I've just mentioned her in a few other like she's a very prominent writer.
0: Wasn't going to say she. So, Adrian. I don't you have. Yeah.
1: Oh, Adrian, yeah. The way I'm looking at it, it's...
0: Adrian yep. could be, yeah. E hmm Um,
1: She said in an interview, Tori Dent teaches us that poetry must speak out of extremity. Extremity. That's the word. <laughs> she went on to say, what's very remarkable about the language in these poems is that it can veer from great elegance to brutal realism the revel- revelations of the sense of betrayals of her body, disfigurements, infections, and yet the language transcends morbidity as great poetic language can. Dent's work has been known for its Whitman-esque line structure, hmm. uh, webs of illusions, and complex syntax patterning. Her honors include grants from the Guggenheim Foundation, the Guggenheim White, the Guggenheim. That had a little something <laughs> extra do it this time. Yeah, it's all the phlegm. Yeah. <laughs> the Whiting Foundation, the New York Foundation for the Arts, and the, and the Money for Women/Slash Barbara Deming Memorial Fund. Hmm. She also received three Penn American Center grants for writers with AIDS, uh, and her poetry was featured in periodicals such as Agni, Antioch Review, Calliope. Kenyon Review, Paris Review, Partisan Review, Pequod, Plowshares, and something called Fence. Dent also wrote criticism for magazines including Arts, Flash Art, and Parachute, as well as catalog essays for exhibitions. Hmm. Tori Dent died in her Lower East, Side, Lower East Side apartment on December 30th, 2005, so she was born January 1st. Wow, and died December thirtieth, two thousand five, from the AIDS, uh, from AIDS-associated infection, known as PML. Mm-hmm. Stanley Kunitz, who we've talked about on here, yeah, the poet laureate, ex-poet laureate, wrote: "Tori is writing poems from within the siege state of the body. Her language uncoils with such vitality, it would see that speaking. It would seem that speaking were an act of the immune system." primary means of survival Mm, wow super high praise yeah um and that's really all there is about her she didn't like she was a very prominent poet and she Mm -hmm. wrote about a lot of really important things but she was around for she was writing for such a short period of time that nobody really thought to like put a biography together about her interesting so um so that's really all i have but the poem I want to read for you is called "Us," and it's from uh, *Collected Poems*, which was pr- uh, it was published by the Sheep Meadow Press in 2015. So I think it was like random selected poems or collected mm-hmm, poems. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like all hers.
0: Yeah. Okay. It was an anthology. Yes. So this is "Us." This is "Us."
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> In your arms, it was incredibly often enough to be in your arms, careful as we had to be at times about the IV catheter in my hand, or my wrist, or my forearm, which was placed consciously like a Gamboni vase, the center of attention placed, frail identity as if someday newborn on your chest, to be secluded, washed over in your arms. Often enough, it was in that stillness the only stillness amidst the fears which wildly collided, and the complexities of the illness, all the work we had yet to do, had just done, the hope, ridiculous amounts of it. We had to pump from nothing, really, short-lived consensus, possibility and experiment, to access from our pinched and tiny minds just the idea of hope. Make it from scratch, air and water, like, ma- like manufactured snow, a colossal fatigue, the severe concentration of that, the repetition of that lifted for a moment, just above your arms, inevitable, pressuring it weighed down but remained above like a cathedral ceiling, strangely sheltering while I held tightly, while there I could in your arms, only there, the only stillness, remember the will. Allow the pull, toe against inevitable ebb. You don't need reasons to live, one reason, blinking in the fog, organically sweet in muddy dark, incredibly often enough it is, it was, in your arms.
0: Hmm.
1: I just really, um, I found a lot of weight in this poem, and, um there was this sense of almost stream of consciousness, Um, like all of the the sentences are where one starts and the other stops, the other begins is uh, unclear a lot Mm -hmm. of the time. Um, But it's just, it's written in this. So I was sort of going off of like the line breaks, but it is written in a way that's, um, it's very rolling and, repetitive. Um, and it just, it had this sense of gratitude to it that I found so, so, um, surprising Mm -hmm. from a a woman in her position, um, to be talking about something that was clearly just like ruining her life. I mean, obviously, Mm -hmm. um, but to, have this gratitude of, like, there were some moments, though, where, like, because of this, I got to be super close to you, and right. we got to have each other in a new way, and how special that is, mm-hmm. um, and so to find that sort of silver lining in, yeah. in a situation like this is, is really remarkable. Yeah, it truly is. So I found that very moving, mm-hmm. and, um, and I think you can see a lot of what Stanley Kunitz and Adrian Rich were saying about her writing, um, saying that, like, it, her, her language is so precise and she chooses each word very consciously, <coughs> um, but that it's coming from this, like, primar- primal place of survival mm. that, like, these, this was probably written late in her life Mm -hmm. and uh, like towards the end Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: she just like she had to say these words she had to put them down in on paper and um I don't know it just it comes from a place that I think is is uh thankful for the time she was given but then also just like reaching for just a little more and having that hope and Mm -hmm. and I don't know I just I it really moved me
0: yeah it's beautiful yeah Thank you. Of course.
1: Yeah, so that's, um, you know, that's really all I have on her.
0: Awesome. Tori Dent. Well, amazing woman. Yes. Fabulous. Well, thank you for sharing. Of course. And um, we'll take a quick little break and we'll be back with me. A quick break. Quick break. Enjoy your quick break. Quick break. What'd you do on your quick break? Hopefully well, listens to us still. With our about.
1: lovely ads.
0: <laughs> um, cool. So I am surprised, still gonna talk about the Harlem Renaissance because last oh. week <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I cut it out, but uh right as I was starting my segment, I realized that I had skipped a chunk. oopsie like part of the most, the, the, like, greatest chunk of the Harlem Renaissance, which was 1925 to 1929. Um, Yeah. So, might be, but we're back this week. I'm doing it. (laughs) Um, So, let me talk about these years a little bit. Um, um, Okay, so, 1925 to 1929 encompassed some of the landmark achievements of the literary Harlem Renaissance, such as Alan Locke's anthology The New Negro and Interpretation, which included works by Langston Hughes, Jean Toomer, and Zora Neale Neale Hurston, and sought to define the movement. Yet, the economic boom that had allowed African American culture to flourish in the 1920s was about to end. In October 1929, a stock market crash, trash stock, <laughs> stock market trash oh stock market. that's what's happening now uh-huh. uh, crash sparked what is now known as the Great Depression millions were thrown out of work and um, African Americans who tended to be the quote last hired and first fired were hit especially hard mm. African American artists saw their art saw their audiences and support dwindle as budgets and disposable incomes shrank yikes um. So this week we're going to talk about someone, again, I like debated about doing Langston Hughes and decided not to because I'm going to save him for another time where I can do a full like deep dive. Sure, sure. And um, same with um, (laughs) County um, Cullen, who was also a very prominent person at the time. Um, County Cullen, that sounds familiar. Yeah, he was a major writer at the time. Okay, cool. Um, And I mentioned him in some of the other episodes about the Harlem Renaissance. I Um, was like, I don't know that much. (laughs) So I wanted to do someone who, I mean, I didn't really know about. And there wasn't a ton about, but I found some information. And I thought it would be cool to talk about someone who is not as Mm well-known and get his name out there. So William Waring Cunny is who we're going to talk about today. Cool. He was born May 6th, 1906. He was a twin I nope. don't know his twin's name, but um, he was born in Washington, D.C., and raised there. After graduating high school, which um, they didn't mention anything about him having problems like graduating from high school and everything like we had um, in our previous episode, where we were in, what was it, Jacksonville, Florida, and like mm. African Americans yeah. weren't able to go to high school. So go Washington, D.C. All right. All yeah. Right. Um, Just he, far enough north, I guess. Yeah. He attended Howard University for a time and then eventually received his B.A. from Lincoln University in Pennsylvania. He decided to pursue a career in singing, though, after graduating and attended the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston and the Conservatory of Music in Rome, but he never performed professionally and eventually shifted his focus to writing. Wow. It said in one of the sources that I found um, that he decided he had a poor singing voice. And that's why he decided to switch from singing. And I'm like, well, if you studied at the New England Conservatory and the Conservatory of of Music in Rome, I'm pretty sure you didn't have a bad singing voice. Right. It
1: was just not what you wanted it to be, maybe.
0: But regardless, he shifted his focus um, to writing. Uh, So, his poems were influenced by his musicality, though. Um, They were rhythmic and often written in ballad form or in original forms reminiscent of blues songs. Oh. Many of his pieces were character sketches of inner-city African Americans. And his poem, No Images, won first prize in a competition sponsored by Opportunity Magazine while he was still in school at Lincoln University. He was 18 at the time. Way to go, man. Yeah. The poem poignantly portrays a black woman's internalization of European beauty standards. Oh. Um, it, is widely, it has been widely anthologized and remains a significant representation of the basic philosophy of the Harlem Renaissance. The next year, two of his, two of his poems won honorable mentions in that same competition. Um, he was classmates with Langston Hughes at Lincoln University. Wow. And, um, yeah, so they knew each other from a young age. And decades later, the two of them co-edited an anthology, Lincoln University Poets, Centennial Anthology, 1854 to 1954. In the 1930s, several of his poems were set to music by Al Haig and Nina Simone. Oh, Nina. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, And an album was recorded called Southern Exposure by Josh White that um, included, like, his poems set to music. Wow. Um, this And this album was considered one of the first musical recordings of the Civil Rights Movement. Um, so, like, work that involved, um, that was pertaining to the Civil Rights Movement. Amazing. Individual poems of Cunny's were included in several anthologies, including Caroling Dusk, um, edited by County Cullen, and the Book of American Negro Poetry, edited by James Weldon Johnson, who we talked about last yeah. week. Yeah. Um Colin um not Colin. Um William was uh was Oh, he was active in the literary salon of Georgia Douglas Johnson. Oh who we talked about yeah. in the very first episode. Yeah. Because he lived in Washington, DC. Uh-huh. 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 It all comes back. And it all comes back. Um, So, yeah, he was active there, and that's how he was, like, very involved, especially in the Harlem Renaissance, without necessarily being there for, um, like, living there permanently. Um, And uh, then he served in the Army in World War II as a technical sergeant in the South Pacific. He earned three bronze battle stars. Mm. After the war, he made the Bronx his home. And um, so he did live in New York City eventually, just eventually. not during the Harlem Renaissance. <laughs>
1: it's about time. Um,
0: and in 1960, he came out with Puzzles, a limited edition book of poems for a Dutch literary society. Um, two years after this. So he, so he, so up until then, he had never published his own full collection of right. poems. They'd always been in anthologies or he had edited anthologies and that sort of thing. Right. But um, he didn't have a full collection of his published so then two years after um, Puzzles was published, he withdrew from the public life from public life, and um, all contact with his friends, including Langston Hughes. Uh, huh. This was in contrast to the deep friendships of his early days in D.C., when many writers such as Georgia Douglas Johnson, Jesse Redmond Fawcett, and Langston Hughes spoke so warmly of his friendship, encouragement, and selfless support of others. So the cause of his reclusiveness, uh, rec- reclusivity... The cause of his reclusivity is not entirely known, whether it's by choice or if it was the result of some, like, post-traumatic stress or some other reason. Um, But he receded sort of into his um, own little world, whatever. Um, And his second and final collection was published in 1973 called Storefront Church. Cool. Um, so, those two collections are like his only collections. They were both published later in his life. Wow. Even though he was like getting acclaim and everything from a young age. Um, although his work ha- was largely forgotten in the US by the 1950s, it was translated into German and Dutch and developed a following in Europe. Huh. Um, and then um, he passed away June 30th in um, uh, 1976. So, again, not much about him either. Yeah. Both of our poets this week. But, um, someone that seems like it, people, more people should know about and read his work, especially, it's, I, I don't know why, um, American audiences didn't necessarily take to his work as yeah. much as like European audiences or that sort of thing. But, um, but yeah, interesting person. Um, and, uh, I am going to read his poem, No Images, which is the one that he is most famous for. Nice. She does not know her beauty. She thinks her brown body has no glory. If she could dance naked under palm trees and see her image in the river, she would know. But there are no palm trees on the street, and dishwater gives back no images. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's sort of... It it doesn't necessarily... um, like, it's pretty easy to see, like, what he's saying with it and everything. Right, he doesn't right. he doesn't beat around the bush with it. Um, but I just think it's a really... And there's a reason that it was... It was... Spoke to the time and people at the time... Um, it resonated with people so much because, right. I mean, it was this time... The Harlem Renaissance was this time when people were... It was sort of an awakening of the African-American community and them sort of appreciating themselves and all that sort of thing. But it's also, like, it was... It's still a time of transformation so there's still it's people are still looking at themselves in a certain way and sort of looking in the mirror and saying like I don't like look, look like all these people that I'm seeing on billboards and right. that sort of thing and having to still work through those image issues and the way that things are being presented to you it's like right. I mean yeah it's it's something that people have to deal with every day even I mean whether you're no matter what you look like it's something that mm. people struggle with, like body image and that sort of thing. And then, right. especially to be someone who, especially at this time in the U, the U.S. like history, African American and and people of color um, were not necessarily seen as beautiful or being portrayed in the um, in media right. and and entertainment as like these um,
1: as like the people, standard of beauty. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. So. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, No Images by William Warren Cunny. Wow. Really beautiful, poignant poem. Yeah. Very direct, like you said. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I really like that. Right. And, I mean, it's just so stark um, of him. Like, if she could dance naked under palm trees and see her image in the river, like, it just paints such a nice picture of right. this, like, beautiful woman living freely and everything, and then it takes you back to just sort of the streets of New York. Right, but, like, there
1: are no palm trees here.
0: Yeah. And dishwater doesn't, dishwater doesn't give anything back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Heavy stuff.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Heavy episode today.
0: Yeah. So, enjoy it with a couple chocolate chip cookies, and... You know, check your privilege at the door. and Right, I was going to say, I mean, these are important things yeah. to sort of think about and, and consider in your day-to-day life. Right, yeah. absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing. Yes, thank you for listening. Thanks for being here. Thank you for being here today. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> well, that's really it. Mm-hmm. Pretty short and sweet episode, but I like it. Um, As always, we want to give a special shout-out to Zach Adkins. Thank you for our intro and outro music. Um, And you can, on the bottom of the show notes, or wherever you're listening, you will see a link and that will take you to a support page. So you can click that, and it'll show you a way to donate as little as 99 cents a month. Dollar menu. Donations. I mean, it's so easy. Thank you, thank you, thank you to those who have already donated, who are considering donating, go ahead and, and take the job. Just, just, just click that it. button. Because all of that money will go to really, really helpful things like getting us new mics, mm-hmm. finding us a place to record that is in our living room slash kitchen, mm-hmm. and maybe paying somebody to uh, help us edit so that Marguerite doesn't have to do it. And also just to make the podcast the best it can be because we want it to be your platform as well. So...
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Help us make it the the podcast you want.
0: Exactly. Where you want your work to be shared.
1: Exactly. A little bit goes a long way. And we thank those who are supporting us already. Um, And then always rate and review. Um, You can do that on Apple Podcasts especially. That really helps us. Uh, Subscribe. 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 To our channel. Subscribe to us. Subscribe wherever you're listening. If you like what you hear which we are sure you will um and then that's really it so mm-hmm. thanks
0: for listening that's all folks and we'll talk to you next week we'll catch you next week catch you on the flip side bye it'll be um will it be november yet no, no it'll be that. halloween halloween or close to it yeah what day is halloween it'll be november 1st
1: it's getting spooky. November first, so it will tighten next in Friday. November. Will be Yeah. No, so we're gonna do a spooky episode for Halloween. Maybe Spoopy. spooky, scary. All right, we'll figure it out, and we'll go back to <laughs> it. Figure bye. Out I'm about to. Okay, yes. bye. I-